Ion 2020 episode 302. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ray Ian here, your host of IN2020. Thanks for joining me for another day in looking at the 2020 presidential election, looking at the 20, just 2020 in general, because it's been a really crazy year, and the elections kind of got out of hand. There's not really much going on with it right now. I supp- I guess Donald Trump is going to be having another rally up in New Hampshire in the next couple of days or something. That's like the big news, and having outside rallies in order to kind of uh, keep people from being in closed confine confinement with or close confinement areas where um i guess if you're inside you're more likely to spread it which i've heard that's true as well they're gonna encourage people to wear masks as well because i guess people did catch covid19 from his tulsa rally which made big headlines and eh, you know it's kind of uh it's it's kind of a worrisome thing that things are starting to go where you're getting more people that are more cases of COVID. They're talking more like the cases right now. And they've always talked about the cases along all along, but the cases of COVID are rising. A lot of it's the younger people that are getting it and so forth. Typically younger people are going to have less likelihood of getting uh, infected where they're going to have symptoms. They're also not going to have as many challenges with their, with their health because of that. And you actually see it in the numbers. The number of cases are going up. The number of deaths comparably are going down but also the deaths per million are going down i think in the in the in the um amount the percentage of people that die who are diagnosed with it is going down for example the overall number right now and i wonder what it is for the last couple months like at the but you see the overall number it wasn't like six percent of people that were diagnosed with it died and now so the death rate was 6%, and that was people that were diagnosed with it, not everyone that had it, because they can't test every single person that had it, because there's a lot of people that had it but never were tested and never um, never even knew that they had it. So you, those are the asymptomatic people and the minor symptoms and stuff like that are people that weren't tested because they weren't eligible to be tested at the time, but now more and more people are eligible to be tested. So if you think you have symptoms, you can pretty much go to one of these testing centers and get tested. So the death rate is coming down I think it was at like 6% at one point but now it's at like 4.5% and that's going to continue to come down because the the actual death rate of COVID-19 is probably what they say is around like 0.3% which is close to what the flu is, I think the flu is like 0.1 or 0.2% uh, so it's close to where the flu is it's a little bit more than what the flu is but you're less likely to die from COVID-19 than what they initially thought but people are still trying not to spread it around and stuff, and I'm trying not to spread it around as well. I mean, I will. People sit there and and make fun of people that wear masks and stuff like that. But I think if it's if you're wearing a mask, that's your choice. You shouldn't sit there and give somebody hell for wearing a mask. That's their choice. If I want to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. I've actually worn a mask a couple of times into like different places because you see a lot of people walking into a place and you're like, eh, you know, I, I just not that I don't want to risk it because I don't think if I got it I would drop dead or anything like that. But I do want to protect say my family my mom my sister like people that might be around i go into work don't want to spread it around there as well 
So I do kind of keep my distance from people, and I, I, I still try to be safe. And I think that you guys should too, but I'm not going to advocate for like laws to force you to do that. But the more you make it political, the more people kind of rebel against that politis- politicization of it, you know? If you make it a political thing, if the government gets in there and mandates something, then there's people that stand up against it and say, no, I don't like the idea of being mandated to wear a mask. So then they make riskier decisions about wearing about not wearing a mask. When if the government stayed out of it, those people might have just worn a mask. If the government didn't force people to do it, they might have worn a mask, but they're willing to be rebellious against state control of things. That's, I mean, as stupid as that sounds, that's just the individualism that we have in this world. And I think that's a good thing. I do think that's a good thing. So anyway, yeah, that's... Um, There's not really much going on in the election right now. COVID-19 is making its comeback again in the sense that it's all over the news everywhere. Um, I think that it's a good thing that the death rates, you know, percentage rates of deaths are going down. You're probably going to have these states where, you know, the lockdowns occurred and then there's states like Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Texas. They let up on their lockdown a lot earlier than a lot of some of these other states did. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a good thing. I was thinking about this earlier today. Those states are going to have a spike, another spike in cases during the summertime. During the time when the flu season is not as prevalent. So you have less people going to the hospital for flu. You have less people going to the hospital for pneumonia. You have a lot less people that are going to be knocking on that door of the hospital trying to get in because they have they have other illnesses other than COVID-19. So allowing those, not allowing it, but because those cases are going to be spiking during the summertime where they might have, tw- I mean, right now in South Carolina, I think it was like at one point I saw 20% of people that were tested had it. I think it was like that in several other states as well. The last number I saw was like 16% of people had it that were tested. So is that number coming down? And if so, will we be like New York soon where 1% of people that are tested have it? And New York's still doing tons of testing. But they've already ran through their cycle of COVID-19. They've already done a huge lockdown and stuff. But they say New York probably had it since January or February. And they hit a major spike in March, April. So if South Carolina, if some of these other states have their major spike now, will that help the hospital systems in November, December, January when the flu season is there and then you have flu and COVID-19? I don't know. I just, that's a question that I have in my mind. Kind of like a rationale in my mind says, yeah, that's probably true. That it might help out in these states that are continuing the lockdowns even harder will their cases start to spike now and because it was like two months ago when Georgia and South Carolina kind of released people out right relaxed their shutdowns and now two months later is when you're starting to see the spikes up to about a week ago or two weeks ago is when they started talking about it so about you know six weeks seven weeks later is when you start seeing the spike again So, is it now that New York, New Jersey, California, they're starting to 
loosen up on their lockdowns? Will it be middle of August or even beginning of September when you start seeing the spikes again? And if that's the case, that's when cold and flu season really starts in September. By October, you start seeing quite a few cases and it starts spreading across the United States. By November, it's been most of the states. December, you start seeing more. And then January, it's it's heavy. And then February, it starts to lighten up again. If you look at the charts, that's what it shows. And like any other virus, the flu goes through states. It'll, it might start in Washington, and then it spreads over into California or something like that, and then over into Arizona, and it kind of crosses the country in, in little waves. Same, That's how most viruses are. That's the way COVID-19 seems like it's going to is right now as well because it started in Washington and New York, spread out to New Jersey, spread into Connecticut, spread into Massachusetts, spread through down to Florida at that point, into the Sun Belt states, through Chicago, through Michigan. Like it's it's acting like a virus does. It spreads a, uh, spreads around the country in, in a little wave in different places. So what's the wave like going to be like in in uh, in the fall and in the winter? That's what you have to wonder. But if you let it, I, I said this to somebody before. I said, what if they just let it spike? Like what if they just encourage the spike in the summertime in the summer months when there's less people that are going to the hospital for the flu? For pneumonia. I don't know. I mean, I was just wondering about that. I know a lot of hospital systems right now, like in South Carolina, for example, I saw a 72% occupancy rate in the in the hospitals in South Carolina. I saw it as low as like 58% or something, or 54% at one point. So it's at, in, in the low 70s now, it's gone down to like 68% on the last time I looked. So you still have a good a percentage of the hospital beds that are still available. So maybe that there'll be a chance that, you know, it won't hit South Carolina quite as hard. I don't know. It's only time will tell. That's what I say. Like, they won't know for like five or six years how COVID-19 is going to really affect America in the, in the first place. So anyway, what I wanted to talk about today, though, I, I kind of got off subject and I wanted to uh, focus in on something that... It's really interesting to me, and I start. It's about the power of human cooperation, and I started thinking about this because we live in a society in a world where human cooperation is completely necessary. It's complete. It's it's built the world that we live in. The cars that are driving, the stores that are out there, the fact that you have groceries in your grocery store every single day. There's no person making that happen there's no one person that's calling the shots that is a bullhorn as Tom Woods puts it and is directing the traffic of how the food makes it to the grocery store something as simple as having full shelves at the grocery store that is a testament to human cooperation and when you don't have groceries at the grocery store Usually there's something wrong. There's some reason there's somebody that threw a wrench into that mix. Whether it was COVID-19 and the empty shelves because people freak out and there's there's a there's a typical demand for toilet paper per se. 
And when this demand spikes, all of a sudden you have empty shelves of toilet paper or Lysol. But then soon people start to fill that void again. New manufacturers come in, new supply chains come together in order to make sure that toilet paper makes it to those grocery stores, makes it to the CVS down the road. That Lysol makes it to those stores as well. Because the profitability is there for them. They know that they're going to sell their product. But that's human cooperation. There's no person directing that. That's, there's no man with a bullhorn out there screaming out and barking orders on how to make that happen. There's no one person that puts together a business plan to get every single piece of grocery that's on those grocery store shelves. There's no one person that makes that happen. It's just major amounts of human cooperation that makes that happen. The idea of that, there's a, there's a little paper that was written called iPencil where the pencil talks about how it became what it is. That people are so willing to just toss a pencil in the garbage or throw it on the ground. But it's a testament to millions of people that come together to make one pencil. They have to source the lead. They have to drill for the lead. They have to make the drills that make the make the drills that you know get the lead. They have to find somebody to put together those drills in order to make the drills that are going to drill for that lead. There has to be a miner that gets there and gets that lead out. There has to be somebody that makes that lead and turns it into a finished product. There has to be a boat that gets it to the shores of the United States, to the factory that's going to make the pencils. The pencil is made out of wood. Somebody has to source that. There's so much that goes on. There's so many intricate things. There's so many people that come together and cooperate to make that happen. So you could write with a stinking pencil on your fifth grade desk. Human cooperation, that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. There's no one person that barks over. It's a miracle that that stuff happens. But it's all because there's no person that's sitting there in that entire supply chain that makes that pencil that's thinking, oh God, I hope that kid in fifth grade passes that test. Because they're not thinking about that. What are they thinking about? Going to work and making money. Going to work for their job. The person that's the investor that makes the investment to go over to another country and and mine for lead. Or cut down the trees. They're there to put food on the fam food on food on the table of their family. To save for retirement. That's the motivating factor that people have. So I was watching this show the other day, and it's called Alone. It's on Netflix, but it's actually a... Um, it's also on Amazon Prime, but it's a show that's on the History Channel, and the people there, what they do is they drop ten people off into the middle of the wilderness. They, they separate them by miles and water and stuff like that in order to make it so that they cannot interact with each other. They just drop them off. They get ten items that they can bring with them. A lot of them choose a knife, they'll choose a bow and arrow, they'll choose a tarp, they'll choose some rope, they'll choose some wire, they'll choose a bowl that they could put, that they could cook in, they'll choose a little fire starter type thing, like there's, there's ten, they get to bring ten items in there with them, and they don't get to cooperate with anybody, and it shows just how harsh life is, and what these people have to do, they have to survive, whoever survives the longest wins a half a million dollars. 
whoever survives the longest out in nature, they put them in the harshest conditions. One of them was in the northwest of North America on an island in Vancouver Island. One guy tapped out in one day. You have a half a million dollars in line. You tap out in one day. You cannot survive one day without human cooperation, without somebody else to help you to survive. There was bears around the area, terrified of the bears. I would be, t- I would be too. And he calls and I'm not putting up with this. I'm not dealing with this. Come pick me up. I'm done. I'm out of here. Then there's another guy. Within four days, four people had already tapped out. Four people that are survivalists. They can't survive four days alone in the wilderness without pulling the trigger to bring me back to civilization, bring me back to where people are, where people cooperate to bring food to my table. Think about that. Four days in the wilderness, he can't survive. I like to think I could survive for four days in the wilderness, but you never know. That's four days of starvation, four days of no food, four days of trying to figure out your food source. Like most of these people... The very first thing they're doing is they're trying to put together, a sh- find a place where they have water so they can put together a shelter there so they have their first two things that they need to survive in order. Shelter and then water. The next thing they do is they try to make fire. And it's very hard to put together fire in some, in some environments. One of the shows that I watched, it was in the Northwest and it's raining all the time. It's a rainforest up there. Twelve and a half feet of rain a year. And they couldn't survive, they couldn't put together a fire. So then you can't boil your water, so then you're worried about parasites. So these people, they get just dropped off in the wilderness, and they have to survive. 74, one of the shows that I watched, it was like on the 75th day is when the last person tapped out, and then they found a winner. But that winner was about to tap out as well. It seemed like he was a couple days from tapping up because his body was starting to eat the muscle rather than the fat to make energy. When they start doing, when the body starts doing that, that's when it starts attacking your heart, your liver, kidneys, your vital organs. And that's when you might have a heart attack or die. 75 days without human cooperation, without somebody else to help you to survive. What if those two people, then you have double the resources that are needed, but also double the hands and ingenuity to get things done. That means half of the energy expended in order to build a shelter. Half the energy expended to find food. Double the people to go out there and find more food. How about three people in one group? And four and five and ten and a hundred the power of human cooperation. It's amazing, isn't it? That's what I wanted to talk about today because it is true. And what happens is that we have such a cooperative society now. If this was a completely free market society where the government had a laissez-faire, like had no control over the economy, no control over our lives, or very minimum control over our lives, just think of the power of that ingenuity that would come together. But governments stop that. Governments confiscate that wealth. If you're 
10 people and you come together and find the food and create the food and make the wealth and there's that one person that comes by and says all right I'm just going to be a freeloader, but I'll tell you guys how, I'll manage this situation. I'll tell you guys how to do it. I'll regulate the way that you do things. Well, I'll find the best system of, of, to do things, and then I'll tell you guys to keep on doing that. That's government. I think that the power of human cooperation is vital, and government stops that. Government hinders that. Government just skims off the top as much as it can without the people rebelling against it. Government fakes it and says, I'm here to help you. Government says, oh yeah, look at this person over here. He needs more, so you need to give him more. They redistribute it, but it goes through their hands first to that person rather than going from the people to that person. There's always a middleman in between, and that's government. A lot of people depend upon that government they learn to depend upon that government. But if you get rid of the government, human cooperation will take care of its own. Because there is a demand, there is a desire for people to help out other people. But that show just, it, it really intrigued me because it made me realize just how important human cooperation is. How important it is for people to just get along. How important it is for survival. If you are a if you are alone in the wilderness, it's very hard to survive. But when people get together, we get what we have today in America. We get what we have today in the world. When government gets in the way, when government becomes all-powerful, you get Venezuela. You get the Soviet Union. You get North Korea. When government steps out of the way, you get flourishing societies. And that's what we need. That's what we need to focus on, guys. That's what we need. We need to elect leaders, elect people who realize that. We need to elect people that believe in limited government and human cooperation. Human cooperation works. When you have large groups of people, they cooperate. They get along. They figure out ways to survive and thrive and protect themselves. And you might have a small government body that'll help help you know manage that situation, but um, it's very important that we realize that. So hey, that's all I really wanted to talk to you guys about today. I appreciate you joining me every day for the show, though that I put it on. I do it on Mondays and Thursdays, and uh, hopefully you keep on coming back every Monday and Thursday. If you would like to, iontheempire.com is my website. You could also go on to I on the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find uh, some information there as well. You'll if you want to follow me on Facebook you can as well and uh, that would be on I and the Empire and just push you know just follow the page you'll see the see the uh, different things that I post like our uh, news articles and stuff like that uh, but keep on coming back every Monday and Thursday you can do that and uh, if you'd really appreciate I'd really appreciate it if you give me a five star rating review on your uh, on your favorite podcatcher as well and then keep on coming back I will talk to you guys on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020